Hello, hello. It is Podcast Wednesday, and you're listening to the VBAC Link Podcast. And we have a guest today sharing her home birth after cesarean story, which I love home births. I mean, I love all births, but there is something unique and special about a home birth and being in your own space and in your own comfortability. So yeah, we're really excited to hear our story today from Amy. And Julie, before we get into that, is going to share a review of the week. Yes, I'm excited to hear Amy's story too. Like reading through her notes and stuff, it just kind of sounds a lot like my VBAC birth, like my first VBAC. But um, I'm not going to tell her story for you like I tend to start doing sometimes. I'm going to stay on track this time and just get to the review. And you guys, I just get so excited when I see your reviews. Every week um, on Monday, we get emails of our podcast stats and how we're doing on all the charts and any reviews of the week that have been left. Mondays are probably my favorite day now just because Monday morning I get to see all the wonderful supportive feedback that we get. Isn't it so fun? Like I just, yeah, it's just a great way to start the week. It's like, Oh, I love it. And honestly, your reviews really do keep us going because recording podcasts is a lot of fun. And we love talking to people and meeting them, but it's also hard work. And we spend time away from our families and our kids are going crazy, destroying the house while we record sometimes. And um, my daughters were just eating a block of cheese, like biting right from the block of cheese. So uh, we'll just see what the house looks like when we're done today. But it's the really the reviews that keep us going and that keep us dealing with the things that make it a little bit harder sometimes. So Uh, We really love uh, reviews. I'm going to throw it back all the way to October 17th of 2019. That's a long time ago. But this is from, um, I love the reviewer name. (laughs) It's Danielle (laughs) 12345678901219. And the title of the review is Successful VBAC Mama Thanks to the VBAC Link. The VBAC Link podcast is one of the most enjoyable, informative, entertaining, and educational birth podcasts that I have listened to. Julie and Megan have a true passion for what they do, and it shows in every episode. They are so down-to-earth and fun to listen to. I attribute my successful VBAC partially to this podcast and these two amazing mamas and all of their guests sharing their awesome stories and facts about everything VBAC. Because of these women, I felt empowered and ready to go into my VBAC. I felt fearless, confident, and excited to take it on. And because of that, I got to push my sweet baby girl out of my vagina. Thank you, Megan and Julie, for all you do and for allowing so many women to truly be a part of your tribe of women of strength. I love that so much. It makes my heart happy. When you feel like you're... One of the things that me and Megan wanted to do when we first got started like the very first thing when we sat down and discussed like our company goals and things like that, we really wanted to create a sense of community where women feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves with people that can just relate to them and understand what they're going through. And it always makes me happy when I hear people say that, that they feel like they're a part of our tribe. So if you feel like you're a part of our tribe, or if you're not in our VBAC link community yet, you should go ahead and join that on Facebook. And as always, we would love it if you leave us a sweet review on Apple podcasts or Google or Facebook. We haven't actually gotten a Facebook review in a little while. So if you want to see your review on the next podcast, go ahead and drop it on Facebook because I will read a Facebook one next time. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs>
You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Hey listeners, today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed therapist. It's a great way to connect in a safe and private environment. I so wish that I had someone to talk to all of those weeks leading up to my birth when I was experiencing the anxieties and fears and trauma from my last birth. For Julie, it took her months to get into a counselor in her postpartum period. With better help, you can start connecting in under 24 hours. Send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly phone or video sessions. They help with anxiety, sleeping, trauma, relationships, self-esteem, anger, family conflicts, depression, you name it. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting an additional counselors in 50 states. They are giving you 10% off for your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash feedback. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash feedback. Join over 1 million people taking charge in their mental health. Okay, Miss Amy, we are so excited to hear your story and get into it. Um, if you do not mind, we'd love to turn the time over to you. Hey, wait a minute. I got a funny story to tell. <laughs> oh, okay. You know me. Go I always ahead. interrupt things. <laughs> I was actually, oh my gosh, I have like three different jokes. I'm going to have to tell them in different podcast episodes. So um, you guys, I don't know if you know this, but Megan as a doula, put her husband through law school. Like she worked full time, busting her butt to provide for her family while her husband was in law school. And her and her husband are just incredibly amazing. They're an inspiring couple. And I am proud of both of them. Mm-hmm. And her husband, Rick, just um, took the bar earlier this year and he passed the bar and he just got sworn in. And now he's an official lawyer. Like he is an official <laughs> lawyer. Is official. He's official. But guess what kind of lawyer he is? I didn't even know that this was (laughs) on his mind. He's a personal injury lawyer. And oh my gosh, when I found out, I busted up laughing. And do you know why? (laughs) Because... Because it was the least, the last thing I thought he would choose. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, because it's so funny because (laughs) people have bad complications from their cesarean and sometimes it's medical negligence right and sometimes it's unnecessary and sometimes women suffer physical or mental or legit trauma because of things that their provider has done and so I joked with Megan and I said Megan you should have Rick's law firm sponsor our podcast you could be a personal injury (laughs) lawyer podcast sponsor be like have a traumatic cesarean contact Rick Heaton at such and such law firm. We will sue your doctor for you. <laughs> well, but he's not a medical malpractice. Oh, like you're just saying. But personal it's personal injury. injury. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's not as funny as I thought it was. I don't know. Does anyone <laughs> else think it's funny? If you're listening right now and you think it's funny, message me on Instagram because I need to know I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> you're silly. <laughs> he is personal 
personal injury though. So if you get an accident, <laughs> I, well, I already messaged him on Facebook and I'm like, can you sue the army for me? Because they hurt me a lot. Like Aww. a lot of injuries. <laughs> he hasn't responded. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get on to, let's get on to Amy so that she can have all the time she has to share her really fun story. <laughs> all right. Well, now that it is my time and I do think you're funny, Julie. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm Amy. I'm in Washington State. I have two boys who are both under two and a half. The youngest is about 10 months old now. Yeah, I'll just I'll start by talking about my, my first pregnancy. Um, overall, it was a normal, I guess, smooth pregnancy. And like a lot of folks um, who end up in VBACs, not to generalize, but I noticed a trend. I knew I wanted a natural birth. And I, I mean, unmedicated by that. I wasn't dead set on that, but that was, that was the path that I wanted. Um, and I stayed with my obstetrician who I'd gone to since I was you know, 16 years old. So I just stayed that course with them. And I'll probably be highlighting some negative experiences here on the first one. And everything was fine. I was meeting with the obstetricians and having my prenatal care through them. And it was in hindsight, I realized it was implied, not explicitly stated, but I had planned on birthing in the birthing center in the hospital that I was delivering at, because if you wanted medication, you would actually have to be discharged and move to the other unit. And I wanted a couple more barriers like that for me personally to not access medication. Um, so that seemed like a good route for us. And it wasn't until I was like super pregnant when I was corrected and told that I couldn't deliver um, in the birth center. And you know, I just kind of had to switch my mindset on that and said, you know, I can have a, an unmedicated birth and, and keep things as natural with fewer interventions as I want to in the, in the regular labor and delivery unit. So that was, the, that was the route we were on. They actually tried to schedule an induction, of course, which is one of those, those scary things. I was like, they started scheduling it when I was like 38 weeks pregnant. And I got off the phone with them and I cried. And, and I told myself, I was like, you know, I can, I can assert myself here. And I called back and I said, let's, let's push the scheduling out. And they gave me a few more days of scheduling out. Luckily, we never had to make it that far. So yeah, uh, when it was time to, when labor started, it was, we checked in to the hospital exactly midnight on my son's due date. So that was fun. <laughs> I looked at my watch when she asked when the due date was. And I said, one minute ago, like started one minute ago. Oh, that's fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, we were laboring for, for quite a while and lots of nice nurses and everything. But there was one in particular who would uh, check me as I was dilating and she was second guessing herself so much that she would actually have another nurse or a doctor come in and check me after that. And in, and again, in hindsight, I'm like, why did you even bother? You know, she's like, Oh, my fingers are short and I just haven't been doing this very long. And so that was kind of annoying, you know, so many hands touching my cervix and <laughs> yeah. whatever. Um, and so because of that, I think that added to the confusion about how far I was dilated. And at one point I started rolling like the cart with the bassinet in and getting everything ready for a delivery. And we thought we we're having a baby that morning and getting all excited and ready to go only to find out I was still around seven or eight centimeters. And, you know, as far as like the help that I had in the, in the room, I did have a doula. She was actually, I, I played rugby for years and she was um, a coach and she had gone on to become a doula and had attended a couple of births and everything and offered to do ours to get some experience. And I thought, sure, because we hadn't budgeted for a doula or anything like that. So it seemed like, you know, we'll give her some experience and, and save some money and, and that'll be fine. And 
I didn't know what I wanted, of course, having been my first labor, but I didn't feel helped or it was a lot of passive support. Nobody was really assertive in offering me things or whatever. People were taking kind of the passive approach. And that was kind of, that was kind of troubling in hindsight. I didn't have, I needed that extra set of hands and extra perspective that I couldn't think for myself as fully at that time. So yeah, she ended up helping later on when I was really trying to breathe through contractions and after Pitocin and everything, she was pretty helpful then. And I was like, wow, this would have been useful seven hours ago. This breathing coaching. Yeah. So anyways, back to the labor stuff. So we, I ended up getting an epidural about 12 hours in and we went through some Pitocin and all that. And eventually, you know, just after failure to progress, the doctor, my obstetrician had said, like, basically, we don't want to end up in an emergency C-section. So like, let's, let's talk about going back to the OR basically. And, and my sister-in-law had just had one uh, not too long ago. So I kind of prepared myself for the idea that things don't go the way you planned. She had the same intentions I did of having a, an unmedicated birth and ended up in a C-section. So, you know, I just finally was like, after 22 hours, sure, let's, let's go back to the OR basically. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I did not like that experience. The OR was, was not a fun place to be as many other people have experienced. The, the shaking on the table was just so intense. I mean, I was so tired and so sore and they, when they pulled my son out and this is kind of an interesting part too, is we didn't know his gender at the time. So when, when they pulled him out and said it was a boy and we were really looking forward to that moment and naming him and all that out of the couple names that we had picked up, but it was like so anticlimactic with the C-section. So Aww. yeah, so whatever. And they also told us that his cord was nearly severed um, when they pulled him out. And they said that that could have been problematic if he had been born vaginally. But was it and, nearly severed because of the C-section or was it just severed like starting to like break apart like yeah. I, like what does that mean they i mean like what implied can you elaborate he maybe? with it yeah that he was oh, like okay. you know, probably playing with it in the room and that it was starting to become separated but after i took you guys as v-back challenge course i requested my records uh-huh. from the hospital and there was no mention of it <sighs> in the report so Did that, you hate kind of, that yeah i was like i got no further information about uh. it so but you know that is what it is i was like you know maybe he came out this way for a reason. Maybe we didn't finish dilating for a reason. Yeah. Um, and whatever, just kind of tried to put it past us. Right. Uh-huh. So yeah, luckily, I mean, I recovered just fine and we were able to nurse and everything was, was fine after that. But fast forward seven months and we got pregnant again. So <laughs> I was a little intimidated to think of my uterus growing again after having had abdominal surgery. But this time around, I decided to switch care providers. You know, I realized this is we're not sure if we want to have more kids and this is probably our last pregnancy. So let's, let's do this the way that I really want to do it. And I had felt some inclinations in my first pregnancy about switching care providers. I just never, never mustered up the courage. And I was thinking too much about what other people would think about, you know, if I, like if my sister-in-law had also gone through midwifery practice and I'm like, Oh, people are going to think I'm copying her or I don't want to break up with my obstetricians that I've been going to for the last decade, you know, and this time around, I was like, this is, this is going to be for me. And I'm just, I'm going to make these decisions and not worry about what people think about it. And I did want to point out too, that I noticed a lot of people um, in their birth stories when they, when they switch to midwifery care, kind of talk about like this huge difference in care. Um, and maybe it's because I had my expectations set, but I didn't, I just wanted to know that I didn't have like this transformative experience switching from the OB practice to the midwives. The OB was fine and I, I really liked the 
the midwives I saw too, but it wasn't like this big, <laughs> big change in experience. But overall, that was a, a smooth pregnancy too. And I really, I did enjoy the, the care I had prenatally with the midwives. And yeah, so we'll fast forward to the, the labor and part of all that. Um, it was a much shorter labor. And well, actually, let me back up for a second, because I wanted to mention too, that in Washington State, the, the midwives weren't allowed to deliver a VBAC or do a VBAC in their birthing center. So it oh, had yes. to be a home birth. They have, um, a weird, they have like little tricky little rules there in Washington State that mm-hmm. you have to work around. <laughs> yeah. So that was interesting. So I, I really, my husband and I had to wrap our heads around that too, that we're going from a hospital epidural cesarean, like all the medical interventions to straight up birthing at our house, you know, and within <laughs> 16 months apart. So we really had to make that work for us and, and work through those fears, kind of like in the VBAC challenge course together. And we're luckily we're 10 minutes away from a hospital. So that calmed our nerves a little bit too when talking about the potential complications and all that. But yeah, luckily there weren't any in short labor was, was pretty smooth sailing as far as labor can be. I really, I took control. I was in my home and not a lot of places in my life. Do I take up the space that I need and want you know, we're always adapting a lot of times as women to to fit the needs of others. But that was a time, and I think my environment had a lot to do with it, where I really just asked for what I wanted. And, you know, I, I my contractions were coming and I knew I found what felt good. And it wasn't laying down like it like it was in the hospital, like I thought I had to be in the hospital. I would stand up and I would hold on to my dresser if I was in the bedroom and I would squat down. Or I would hold on to the doulas and midwives um, or doula and midwives, you know, or my husband and have my contractions in the way that was most comfortable for me. Um, and that was something I didn't do in the hospital. And then of course, that's probably some experience having gone through labor before knowing that I could take that space too. And that I was at home and I don't know, it was just different. So I was, I was glad for that. Yeah. And so basically we were in labor for about seven hours total versus the 22. So started again on his due date <laughs> in the early wee hours of his due date I started having contractions and um a few hours in we called the doula and midwives and everyone came over and I was getting pretty getting pretty rough by that point so I asked them to start filling up the the pool and um once that was filled which takes a while we moved in it and that was the first time I was checked and the student midwife who was who was lovely she was a breath of fresh air to have in our home with this experience. And she checked me and congratulated me that I had made it farther than I did <laughs> in my first labor. So that's like that the be best feeling in the moment. world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I was in my head so much. I'm just like, there's so much work to do left. Like I'll celebrate uh, later, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I didn't, I was like telling myself, Oh, I'll celebrate those little moments. But in the moment I was like, mm. <laughs> let's keep going. But <laughs> anyways, we, um, yeah, I kept laboring in the in the pool, and again, I was I was taking the space that I needed, and even vocally for me, that was something that I wasn't or that I had kind of prepared for. It's like if I if I need to be loud, then I'm going to be loud, and I'm not going to care what people think. And this is my home, and and these people are here to support me. Um, and I was really grateful for that. So eventually, it was time. I felt like it was time to push, um, and I felt like the midwives really listened to me. And they're kind of trying to encourage me to maybe wait a little bit longer, but I said no. Like I think I think this is this is going to go down pretty soon here. So we got prepared to push, and pushing was like, of course, I knew that it was going to be hard, but 
that was just something I'd, I'd never experienced before. It was like a first, a first experience all over again. I'd done 22 hours of labor, but I never did this pushing thing. And it was intense. And it was it really is. hard. <laughs> yeah. It really is. And I think a lot of people, they focus a lot on like the labor and coping through labor. But like, they like kind of forget about like, oh, well, like, I can labor, but I have to get the baby out of me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I have to push and it's just it's it's a completely different sensation mm-hmm. and a task. I don't know how to it's different. It was. It was. It's and it's it was hard to describe too, but in you know, and I'm not sure at least for me and what I was told by the midwives um who were at my birth was to not use my the vocalness, <laughs> you know, that I was using in labor during pushing. And I had a really hard time trying to channel that energy back to the push. Instead of yelling and screaming, they're like, take that energy and, and use it for pushing. Like, it's probably not going to help you to let all the energy out of your mouth, basically, instead of pushing it down. Um, well, there are so many times where I just wanted to, to yell, <laughs> but had to harness that into the push. And we pushed for about an hour. And I was told that that was a, a textbook first vaginal birth. But still, like, I hear these stories of people pushing for 13 minutes or one or two pushes, and it varies. And yeah. I didn't have expectations for pushing because I hadn't really thought about it. And <laughs> one hour is a good amount of time. I pushed for two hours with my first mm-hmm. back, but then the next one I pushed for 12 minutes and then wow. two and a half minutes with my last one. Like, that was crazy. But no, it's so different between not only like different people, but different pregnancies. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we pushed him out, and or I pushed him out. I'll take credit for that. <laughs> and, and everything was was good. I mean, it was, I was so glad to be in my home. I didn't have to worry about when to go to the hospital or the birth center or when to pack up or anything like that. All I had to do was decide when to call the doula and the midwives. Um, and I will note, we had the same doula for both of these birds. You know, I, I was kind of talking to her during my second pregnancy and and she was like, I really wish that I had been able to do more for you in your first birth. And, you know, she felt that and expressed that. And, and I just liked her. And I was able to talk to her more about what I needed from her. And we worked together pretty well on that second one. And she was, she was very, she was there for us and helped us through that labor and delivery and everything and postpartum for a little bit. And, and it was a much better experience, although she didn't necessarily have an abundance more experience at the time. But I kind of, I feel like maybe in a way I had to make up for, for that lack of experience by making um, not demands, but requests and, and asserting more of what I wanted and needed from her. But it worked out in the end for us. And I was glad to have had her there. And I was going to mention too, you know, part of it, thank you for being part of the decision to have an HBAC. And after I took the, the VBAC oh, challenge course, it really helped me kind of add to the perspectives and the, and the confidence knowing that I had, that so many other women have done this um, yeah. and that it wasn't crazy. And the midwives were very supportive of all that too. And very reassuring and their statistics also helped too. Once, once you look at the facts, right? Like that was, that was really helpful to, to work through some of those, those fears and letting some of them go, but still acknowledging them, I guess. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to say thank you. And to the, also to the women that were in that group that we all were through a lot of things together. So that was very helpful. Oh, it makes me happy to hear that that group too just helped you so much. Cause that's, you know, when Julie and I decided to do it, like that was what we wanted. We wanted a group that everyone felt safe and loved and supported and like they were heard, 
because we had, well, I personally had a really poor experience from another group during my pregnancy. And I just never want anyone to feel the way I felt that day when I commented on, because I switched to a midwife from an OB. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's what I said. I said, hey, everybody, like, like give me some, I don't know, like love. I, I, I just made a big decision in my pregnancy and I, I wanted to thank everyone for their encouragement and from switching to a, provi- a provider who was supportive, but a provider um, switching to a provider that was actually better for me. And wow, I mean, it just got reamed in this group for switching mm. to a midwife. That's an ugly and, group. And to, and going out of hospital because this midwife, mm-hmm. particular midwife also delivered out of hospital. And like, I even talked about it and I was like, this provider's so awesome. Like he's going to support me. And we're going to have him be like my backup, my hospital backup provider. Like it was such a good plan in my mind. Like it was a good plan. Not in my mind. It was a good plan. (laughs) And um, yeah, I just got reamed. And so I love that you have been able to get that support and love from the feedback link. That's why we did it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. My voice just cracked there. That's so weird. I have allergies. You know, it's the worst time to have allergies right now because if you cough, everyone runs away from you like you have. I know. It's so crazy. Sorry. Anyways, back on track. Let's talk about pushing. Yeah. Uh, Seriously though, because we, this episode 137, and I don't think we've ever talked about pushing. I don't think we have either. No. So let's do it. I, gosh, it's so funny because I, I have a little story surprise. I, there's a childbirth educator in our area. I'm not even going to say what type she teaches because I don't want to sound like I'm not a fan of the way she teaches because I just love her. And I think she's an incredible and inspiring person, but she teaches parents, even first time parents that they don't have to push that their body will just push for them. And that is true to an extent. To a point. Yeah. Yes. Except for when you do have to push. And so let's talk about that. Like, what does the physiological normal textbook process look like? And when might you need to exert some actual effort into pushing like, like actually consciously? Because subconsciously, trust me, you're not going to be able to stop that pushing from happening. And you're right. It's just not... It's not a feeling you can de- describe properly. Mm-hmm. I just i've I've been trying for years to find out how to really <laughs> describe the feeling of your body pushing a baby out, and there's not a dang thing you can do about it. And <laughs> but let's start a little bit with like just like the basic anatomical physiological things that are happening when your body is getting ready to push. So a lot of times you know, the cervix dilates, opens, softens, all of those things. A lot of times when we think of the cervix dilating and becoming complete, we just think it kind of like disappears and melts away. But really the top of the uterus, which is called the fundus, so they measure your fundal height, right? In your appointments, the top of the uterus is a fundus and the cervix that when it dilates, it's actually the uterus pulling the whole uterus upwards to thicken the muscles at the top of the fundus. So if you imagine the cervix just kind of like moving upward, if you will, like the top of the fundus thickening and pulling the cervix out of the way. So then by the time you're ready to push, 
the cervix is complete, right? You're called complete. Your cervix is a 10. You're 100% effaced. And the fundus is very thick. And that muscle, when you transition from the active stage of labor to the pushing stage of labor, your contractions change. They change from moving the baby down and thickening the fundus to pushing the baby out. And changing from the push, the moving baby down pushing or um, contractions to the pushing contractions is called transition. Good name for it. Um, that's the point where you're probably like, I'm about to lose my mind. I can't do this anymore. C-section doesn't sound so bad anyways. But then once you get to pushing, it's so different because the fundus muscles are pushing. They're literally applying pressure to your baby to get it out of your body. And in an ideal circumstance, you don't have to push. I didn't push at all. In fact, I had to try hard to like stop myself from clenching everything up down there because of the intensity that I felt. Your body will do it if the circumstances are optimal, right? So, but sometimes if baby's head is asynclitic or if your baby is posterior or maybe you have a larger baby or, or a smaller pelvis or you're on your back with an epidural or you are limited to whatever positions you can get in to push or if you're in a hospital, they're really, 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 really intent on coached pushing where you pull your legs up and you have to like push and breathe and, you know, hold your breath until your face turns purple and all of those things. Like those are circumstances where you're going to have to give effort. Now you're going to have a lot better chance of having a spon being able to spontaneously push and let your body do what it is capable of doing at home. Like, I'm just going to be honest. I have seen it so many times as a doula. I'm sure you have too, Megan, where no matter what a provider says or what a parent wants, as far as the pushing stages go, they always end up on their back with their pulling. A lot of the time. No matter yeah. what. I've yeah. only seen a um, pushing in a different position other than on your back in a hospital, like three or four times in my whole entire doula career. It's like, seriously though and then and then they'll tell you how to push and you'll have to hold your breath and then they'll get their fingers in your vagina and they'll tell you you're doing a good job pushing or push right here or push down to my finger but honestly you don't have to do all that but so, like i said sometimes you do sometimes you got to help baby out nudge baby out a little bit but the right provider that is familiar with a normal birth process will be able to identify when those things need to happen i was at a home birth recently with a client that switched due to the COVID-19 restrictions and her baby's head was so asynclitic that it was like wedged like into her pelvic bone. And there was like the most giant knot molding I have ever seen on a baby's head. Um, and that knot molding thing that baby had going on, we couldn't get her in a good position because she had been lodged in there for so long. And so this mom had to work so hard to get that baby out. And we didn't realize until afterwards that that head was molded so strangely that it made it really difficult and she had to put effort in. And so I don't want to give the false assumption that like you never have to push on your own, like consciously, because in some circumstances you do. And in a hospital setting, you most likely will be told to, but you don't usually have to. If your baby's in a good position, your labor's progressing without complications or anything. No, yeah. Um, 
I just think it's following your body and understanding, like, like you said, like it's going to, like your body's helping you push, but like you giving extra effort, like helps a ton. Like it really does help a ton. And then following what um, your body's saying. So like if you're pushing, 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 and you're making amazing progress and all of a sudden that progress kind of comes to like a halt, it might be a really good time to change positions. Mm -hmm. Maybe get off your back, maybe get on your side, maybe stand up, squat. But usually if you're not, if your progress has stopped, it's a sign that maybe there needs to be some movement happening or maybe babies, maybe babies in a little bit different of a spot that's less ideal or needs a little bit more effort in a different position, you know? And then I don't know, one of my biggest things that I think I have a hard time is when like a provider is not there yet. And so it's like, don't push, right? Because you don't want like to push without your provider, but like it's almost damaging to your pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. It almost, it is damaging to your pelvic floor if you're holding everything back up. And so I usually suggest things like horse lips and breathing through that, or I mean, just go with your body and have a baby and have a nurse or something catch. I don't know, <laughs> but to not, to not push, like to push what I'm trying to say. Do you know what I'm trying to say? To not, not to be told push. not to, to not, push not when push. your body's already pushing is impossible. It's impossible. And like when you're like, like I said, like when your body is doing it, like, yes, you giving extra effort will help that. But mm-hmm. if you actually hold that baby in, it's damaging too. And so yeah, it can cause severe, t- severe complications with your pelvic it, floor tearing. It really can. Yeah, it really can. So, but kind of going along, you know, Amy was like, yeah, like I have to push, I have to push. Like this is a whole different thing. And I've just labored for this long, but like I have to do this, but like kind of start thinking about pushing too. If you're out there, if you're listening right now and you're preparing for birth, it's a really awesome thing to go meet with a pelvic floor specialist and let them teach you how to breathe and push effectively. Mm. Because I know Val here, she's been on the podcast and I'm, I'm sure lots of other people do this pelvic floor specialist, but they actually can can train you and teach you how to push effectively so you're not damaging your pelvic floor, you're effective, and it's good for you, baby and, and body. So I would suggest that as well. Like, don't just prep for the birth, but prep for the delivery as well. That's great. That's really good feedback. And that's something that I didn't even think to say is like a lot of people, when they get to the pushing stage, when they push as their body's pushing, it helps them to feel better and it relieves some of that intensity. For me personally, I could not get out of my head enough from like, don't try to stop this to work with it. Like I had, I just, I don't think I could get there (laughs) to be actually, actually try and push. And now I'm wondering if I would have actually pushed with my body, if that would have made pushing easier. But no, that's a really good point. Yeah. So pushing, think about it, prepare for it. Talk to your doula, find out um, what pushing looks like. Talk with your provider, especially you guys. I just can't even emphasize this enough. Talk with your provider at every single visit about how you want to labor and how you want to push. If you have an epidural, you don't really have many options. Um, I know people say sideline, but gosh, I've out. So you always start out sideline, and then I swear they always just like slowly maneuver you onto your back. I, I just I see it all the time. 
But talk with your provider. If you really want to push other than on your back, if you want to push on your hands, knees, or standing up, or squatting, or whatever, make it very clear. And you will tell, you'll be able to sense if that makes them uncomfortable or not. In fact, I was at a birth a few, oh my gosh, how many years has it been? Like a year and a half, maybe? I'll go with a really good friend of mine. And she was birthing in a hospital. And we got there, like she was pushing in the car on the ride. Her labor was super fast. And we got there. And she was on her hands and knees uh, against the bed. And the doctor came in, the like doc in, doc in the box, doctor on call, whoever, whatever you want to call it, and came up to the nurse and whispered, we're not going to have a baby like that, are we? Because my client was oh, on her. Oh, whoa. Yeah. And we're not going to have a baby like that. <laughs> yeah, are we? And she's like, oh, no, 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 we won't. The nurse said that. And then the doctor walked away. And so I went over to the nurse and I'm like, what, do you, what did he mean when he said we're not going to have a baby like that? And the nurse said, oh, well, he's just going to want her on her back to push. And I'm like, okay. So I know, made a mental note of that. I knew that this particular client slash friend of mine did not want to push on her back. So as the nurse left the room, I walked around the bed to the husband and I said, I know not pushing on her back is very important to her. So you guys need to know that you're going to have to really be determined and fight against that. Because if I come up and say, oh, don't put her on her back, da, 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 then I'm creating tension and anxiety in the room. But if the clients advocate it or the parents advocate for it, it just comes across better for everybody. So guess what we did? We got the squat bar out and she pushed her baby out squatting on the squat bar. And then the doctor was happy because it's kind of like on your back. And mom was happy because she didn't have to push on her back, you know? And so you got to be aware of, of those type of things and make your wishes known and make sure that you have an advocate in the room with you because if it's not your husband, then make sure you have a really, really, really good doula. And talking of, speaking of really, really, really good doulas, Megan, do you want to talk about really good doulas? Uh, yeah. Well, um, you know, and Amy said like she reused her doula, which I love. And we were talking about it like I, as a brand new doula, and, and keep in mind, I was a brand new doula who had not had a vaginal birth. And so I mm -hmm. would go into interviews and uh. I would totally feel like I connected with these people and was excited and like totally wanted to support them. But then they... I would get the question like, well, if you haven't had a vaginal birth, how could you support me? Or if you haven't supported many births, how do you feel like you can support me? And so it's so hard because these brand new baby doulas, they're inexperienced, right? Like they are naturally, like they don't have the experience because they haven't done it. And so I just, I just want to talk a little bit about that of inexperience and then like price. So a lot of the times people will hire doulas that are really cheap because that's what they can do, but they have a really good connection with them. And that's amazing. And that's what's important too, is like really getting that connection because the connection is going to go a long way. But then of course there's the education. So for those who might have a, a newer doula or a cheaper doula or something like that, that may be more experienced, I just want to encourage you to encourage them to really educate themselves in what type of birth you are looking for and the pros and the cons and what they can do differently in certain situations. I don't want to be like preachy, but we do have our doula course, <laughs> but things like that, like tell them to preach girl. 
Our course tell is them. awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. Our like, tell them to listen to this podcast. Tell them to listen to these parents' stories so they can learn what situations happen sometimes and what may lead to a cesarean. I, we love it to reference our course. We love teaching these these doulas and letting them know how it is to support a parent going through wanting to have a VBAC and going through labor in all different scenarios and things like that. But yeah, like I want to kind of just point out too, we have to give doulas, a, we have to give them experience somehow. But just because they, they're an, an experience, like we're also an experience as parents usually, right? We're hiring our doulas because we, we want that extra support and experience, but together encourage one another to really educate in the type of birth that you're desiring by, like I said, courses, podcasts, read up, whatever they can do, because it really will benefit both you and them in the long run. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I do want to add too, though, Doulas do need to gain experience, and I we gain, gain experience through getting hired when we're new doulas and don't have a lot of births under our belt. But if you don't feel comfortable with a doula, like you don't have to sacrifice your feelings just so a new doula can get experience. You know, you don't have to sacrifice your birth or your comfort. It, I have a funny story. Um, I don't know if I even talk much about this in my actual feedback episode, which is number three, but. When I for my cesarean birth, I hired a doula. I went to a meet the doula's event. She was a three hundred dollar doula. The most expensive doula at that time was eight hundred dollar doulas. Now, like the, the cheaper doulas are eight hundred dollar doulas now. But um, I should say like the least expensive. But anyways, but she'd only been to like four births. None of them was unmedicated. Half of them were cesareans, and I wanted an unmedicated natural birth, right? And not a cesarean. But she was $300. And I was like, well, being a doula is not rocket science, right? Like, what's the difference between a $300 doula and an $800 doula? And while being a doula is definitely not rocket science, <laughs> there's some intuition that comes with being in the birth room that helps you guide your clients on their journey. And so I hired a $300 doula for no other reason besides she was the cheapest doula. And <laughs> my, my husband calls her the most expensive foot rub I ever had because she gave me a really good foot rub while I was in labor. But she didn't, she didn't do anything that I now know would have been beneficial for me. Like, for example, ask me simply, do you have any questions for the doctor? I mean, like even that, I mean, it probably wouldn't have changed the outcome. Like doulas are not superheroes. They're not magicians. We can't magic things to happen the way you want them, but we can guide you in having conversations that help you feel comfortable with the choices that you are given or with the path that your birth takes. And so maybe even like a simple situation like that, or, or do you want to like pray about it? I always tell my clients to say that. I'm like, I don't even care if you've ever said a prayer in your life. Ask to pray about it and everyone leaves you leaves the room and gives you space to just like think about it for a minute, you know, and simple things like that, that you just kind of gain with experience and learn along the way really, really help you. But with that being said, and I always say this, I even say this when I'm interviewing people, which kind of might not be the best idea, but I would always, I always say, I would love to be your doula. And I think that we would be a really good fit because X, Y, Z, you know, whatever is related to them. But I want you to really hire the doula that connects most with you on an emotional level. 
because no matter how many births she's done or how much education she has or whatever, that emotional connection is going to be what is going to carry you through this birth. And I don't care if she's a $300 doula or $3,000 doula, hire it based on how you feel. Like when I met my midwife for the right. first time, like I just felt like I was home. When I met my second doula that I had learned more, I just felt like right away during the interview, I'm like, yep, you're my you're doula. It. You're yeah. it. And I had hired like, I had interviewed like 11 doulas at that time. And sometimes I have parents hire me that still have other doulas to interview, but they hire me right at the interview because they feel that. And sometimes I interview parents and I'm like, oh, they are for sure going to hire me. We were such a good fit, but they hire a different doula because it's that connection that they feel. And so that's what we want to kind of emphasize, but also make sure that your doula, if she doesn't have experience in your type of birth, that she like ask her what she's doing to learn more about it and to get more knowledge and to be able to better support you because that's really important too. I know as a baby doula, I don't know if you did the same thing as me, Megan, but like as a baby doula, like every penny that I brought in, I like purchase like other classes or learning it. modules or invest like and I still do like half my income I just like essential oils in pregnancy online course about learning like how the different like what different essential oils would be beneficial for different things and tens unit I just took a tens unit class and I took a different like slow method doula training from doula trainings international like I've already been trained as a doula but like the more education you get and build um, makes you a better doula as well and helps you combine, like we always say for parents, when doulas combine their knowledge with their intuition, then it also helps you better because that knowledge and intuition helps your knowledge and intuition. And together you guys have this like really cool flow. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Miss Amy, do you have anything else to add to all this stuff? You've been just quietly listening. Yeah, we just been <laughs> talking away. Do you have anything <laughs> that you would like to add to anything or any advice on hiring a doula or any advice on pushing or having a HBAC or finding the right provider or anything like that? Oh, yeah. We got to ask the questions too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would really encourage um, folks to to actually like interview multiple doulas. We didn't even take that step. We just kind of, it felt like she landed in our lap and we just took advantage of that opportunity to, to have a doula. It was something that I figured I wanted, but like I said, we didn't put it into the budget, but I bet you if I had interviewed a more experienced doula or, or two or three and made connection with somebody else that I would have worked that into the budget, you know, and it would have helped us make, make that happen right. and have a different experience potentially. And saying that like with the pushing, not same thing, of course, but with the pushing, um, the positions were, was interesting. Like for me, for example, when we're talking about pushing and I, w I couldn't squat basically, like it was, it was too effective for me. So it was kind of interesting to have to work through that with, with the midwife's directions and helping figure out what was best because it, it was, it was relieving. I remember Julie talking about like the relief that some can experience when you work with your body and that. It was so relieving to squat, but it was like, we don't want that yet. Like we need to do this a little bit differently. So I was on my hands and knees and, and I remember the midwives telling me, you know, you get where you're comfortable and we will come to you. Yes. And that was just so important for me to know, like, I love and then to that. say. I love that so much. You get where com you're comfortable. I'll come to you. That is amazing. Like, that's amazing. Good yeah. provider. That you and you just that. answered your questions. A secret lesson no one really talks about and your best tip for preparing for VBAC. So there you go. Yeah. 
<laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amy. And thanks for letting us just ramble on here at the end. Um, we really, really appreciate you and know that you're going to help someone out there. Um, I know that all these stories inspire people all over and I'm excited for yours to air. Great. Well, thank you, ladies. I appreciate the, the time and the opportunity to help. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.